Well, good morning. Oh, surely you can do better than that. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right, there we go. My name is Brent, and I have the privilege of being able to be a part of our staff team here at PBCC, and we're glad you've chosen to be with our family on this Sunday. Um, I do want to, um, I don't know if you're supposed to, well, let me phrase this. I know you're not supposed to brag, but if I could just say one thing, um, this morning I got on um, palmbeachpost.com, and um, I don't pay for the print edition. I go the digital edition every day. And the Borland Center was featured on their splash page this morning, um, which is just a really exciting thing as we believe this is part of God's vision to have a, a bridge to our community. Last night there was Swede Fest in here, and um, that's where you take a ma- major motion picture and you reduce it down to three minutes, um, not using their clips, but recreating it yourself. And so there was a lot of fun and good things happening, but that's just great um, for the Borland Center and for PBCC to be um, there recognized for, for building that bridge to the community. And so um, this is just a great place to be and a great family to be a part of, and we're excited about what God is doing. Um, so as we jump into the, the series this morning, as we jump into the message, we're going to continue the series that we've called The Lies That We Believe. And you've heard a lot of different things and a lot of different stuff about the lies you believe about yourself, the lies that you believe about life. But in general, let me just throw some statistics out there about lying. Did you know that the average person tells, according to one study, the average person tells over two lies per day? Now you may say, oh, well, I'm average. Or you may say, I'm well above average. Some of you may say, well, I never lie. Okay, there's one for today, all right? And it's also estimated that over the course of a day, you will hear between 100 and 200 lies per day. Whether it's through advertising, whether it's on the radio, whether it's somebody you see in your office, whatever it may be. So our, our ears, our minds are attuned to lying. We, we do it, but we also hear it. You may say, well, I never lie. Well, let me just throw out a few things. I would venture to say that some of you have already lied today. And some of you, be be aware of the lightning strike, some of you lied at church this morning. Some of you, when walking through the lobby, one of our incredible members of the host team said, good morning and how are you? And your response was, I'm fine. And you may be lying. Some of you are probably here today and say, no, I really am fine. It's not that big of a deal. But for some of us, it's just easier for us to lie than it is to actually face the truth of the situation. Here's about another lie. See if you've ever told this before. I'm on my way. (laughs) Or the close cousin of that, I'm right around the corner. Yeah, I've heard that. I I have a friend of mine who's absolutely notorious for saying, I'm right around the corner. I mean, we used to work in downtown West Palm Beach, and he would leave gardens every morning. And when he left his house from gardens, he would say, I'm around the corner. Yeah, about three corners and 20 minutes of highway. What about this lie? Um, I didn't get the message, or I didn't get your text. Some of you go so far as to actually delete the text so you can show the person, no, I, di- I, didn't, I didn't get it. And you're laughing because you've done it. How about this lie? See if you've heard this before. Your table, be, your table will be ready in a few minutes. Or this one, the doctor will be right with you. Yeah, that's a fun one. Or maybe this one, I have read and agree to all the terms and conditions. Sure. You see, most of us probably have lied at some point. 
The challenge is, is we get to the place where the lies that we read, or the lies that we hear, or the lies that we say, we get to a place where that becomes our reality. We get to the place where we actually start believing these lies. We believe that we're fine. We believe that the table will be ready in a few minutes. We begin to believe these things because we hear them, we rehearse them, and we practice them so much. And one of the areas that we tell lies to ourselves and lies that we've bought into is in the area of relationships and specifically marriage. But these, these principles that we're going to talk about today apply not only to marriages, but they also apply to friendships. And they apply to families. There are things that we have become to the place where we believe them, even though they are not true. And a lot of what you're going to hear today are things that I've heard as I've talked with couples in premarital counseling, as I've talked in marital counseling, different things that have come up. But there are also things that I know I've told myself. These are things that I've bought into and things that I have believed that when you really look at them and you examine them, you realize they're not truthful. They're false statements, and we need not to believe what they say. So today we're going to look at the lies we believe about marriage. Okay? The first lie we believe about marriage is this. Marriage is easy. Marriage is easy. And if you're married, you probably have come to the conclusion that that is a falsehood. If you are one day going to be married and have a hope and desire to do that, I'm sorry to burst your bubble today, but it's a lie. Marriage is not easy. You see, we've we've bought a, a, a bill of goods that says happily ever after. And it's very, very possible and very, very real. It happens more times than not where people live happily ever after married. The challenge is, is you don't see between I do and how it's happily ever after. There's a lot of peaks and valleys, a lot of ups and downs. It's hard work. Sure, we can live happily ever after, but it doesn't just happen. When the princess marries the prince, we don't see the next day. We don't see a year later. We don't see when the first child comes into the picture. We don't see when he wants to go golfing with his buddies. We don't see when she wants to go to the outlet mall with her girlfriends. We don't see those discussions. We just see the nice little heart that shows up and says, and they lived happily ever after. Marriage is not easy. The truth is this. Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard It's hard work. The Apostle Paul, when he's addressing people who are not married, is basically telling them, it's better for you to not be married if you can stand it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, notice what Paul said, or 1 Corinthians, you're laughing. No, Paul, this is what Paul says. I'm not making this up. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Look, if you're going to get married, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And because of that, notice what he says, and I would spare you that. Paul's telling you, it's not going to be easy. We have bought into this lie and this idea that that the hardest thing we're going to do in our marriage is get to the wedding day. If we can get, and I hear this in premarital, man, if we can just get past the wedding day, everything else is going to be smooth sailing. My response is usually this, the wedding day is the easiest thing you'll have in your marriage. Not that it goes downhill after that, but that it requires the next day for you to get up and to work on this thing. It is not easy, but it's a lie that people have bought into. And what happens is, is when you hit the hard patch, you scratch your head and say, it's not supposed to be like this. 
I, I shouldn't have to work this hard for somebody I love this much. So you know what? I'm not sure it's worth the work. It's easier just to give up than it is to work hard because we've bought into the lie that marriage is easy. Think about a diamond and the process that a diamond goes through in order to become that, that long-coveted, basically, rock that people want. It takes bad gas, carbon dioxide, and it has to be buried deep into the ground. And with thousands of degrees of heat and thousands of pounds of pressure, it becomes um, trapped in there. And then it's quickly exited to the surface where it cools. Then it becomes a stone. Then that stone has to be mined. Then it has to be cut. Then it has to be polished. And even then, the best diamonds you can afford are still diamonds with imperfections. That's what marriage is. It takes pressure. It takes time. It takes heat. It takes being cut and shaved a little bit. It takes being polished and rubbed so it'll shine in its brightest moment. That's what marriage is. And even then, it's not perfect. Even then, you need something to really see the imperfections. But that's kind of what the hard work is all about. And what happens is, is when you're in this relationship with other people, whether it's family or friends, you get into this relationship and you realize that it's hard work. And, and, and when you realize that the difficulties come and that you don't have a choice but, 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 but to endure it, we find ourselves creating another lie. When the challenges come upon us, we come up with another lie. And the second lie is this. It's his or her fault. It's his or her fault. It's their fault. You see, the reason we have problems is because she does this. The reason that, that the marriage is, is hard is because he won't do this. The reason that we just can't communicate is because she just won't listen to me. Or the reason we can't get along is because he won't do this. It's their fault. We play the blame game. But the truth is this. We're all at fault. We are all at fault. Have you ever heard the phrase, it takes two to tango? There's a reason for that. Because it takes two to tango. I used to work for a guy who said this. And the first three or four times he ever said it, I thought, man, I have no idea what this means. But as you start to think about it, you realize it. And he used to say this when he would talk about couples and conflict and different things. He would say, it's a mighty thin pancake that doesn't have two sides. See, you didn't get it either, right? <laughs> think about it. A pancake has two sides. And you got to come up with a mighty thin, basically a non-existent pancake in order for it to not have two sides. Every story, every relationship, every problem has two sides. We're all at fault in the issues and the challenges that come up. There are isolated issues where you can actually say, you know what, what he did was absolutely wrong. I didn't provoke it. I didn't do anything. But not all the problems all the time are unprovoked. You could get to a deeper cause and say, well, what did I do that caused them to react this way? What was it in my actions, as, as horrible and as awful as it may be or may have been, what, what responsibility do I have in this? You see, regardless of the situation, not all the time, but they're, 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 we all have fault. We all have something that we can own in the problem. 
Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said this. He said, why do you see the speck that is in the eye of your brother's eye or in, the, in, in your spouse's eye or your friend's eye, but you can't see the log that is in your own? Why is it that we're quick to point out what's wrong with the other person, but we don't even realize what's wrong with us? I had a friend of mine who used to, when you would get critical or whatever, and you, and you were talking to him and he'd point out something like this, he'd go like that. And I'd be like, what are you doing? He'd be like, oh, well, the beam coming out of your eye almost hit me in the head, so I had to duck real quick. And then I realized, yeah, okay, I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I get your point. Not funny, but I get your point. You see, Jesus is saying, look, we can't go around playing the blame game. It's your fault. 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 We have to look in the mirror and say, the person I'm looking at in the mirror, there's some responsibility there as well. The lie is, is that it's their fault. The truth is, is that we're all at fault. The next lie, and I hear this a lot, especially before they get married, I hear this. All we need is each other. All we need is each other. The thought and the expectation is, is that every single emotional need that I have can be completely, 100%, perfectly fulfilled by my spouse. I laugh at them when they say that. Especially when we get to the section in the conversation about, we, we do do a session every time on, on communication and conflict resolution. And we talk about when problems arise, how do you think you're going to get through this? Well, I just love them. I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad you love them. Because let me tell you, there's going to be a day when they aren't very lovable, and you still have to love them. Think about it. People say, well, all I need is, he, he needs to meet all of my needs all the time. It's not possible. The truth is, it's not possible for one person to meet every need of another person. It's just not possible. They can't be there for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's just not physically possible, emotionally possible, psychologically possible, let alone healthy for those things. It's just not possible. You say, well, then what's the point of being married? I mean, I have this person. I have this life partner. Isn't this what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to rely on each other. And we're supposed to do this? Yes. But life goes on outside of your relationship. The person that you're in relationship with brings a whole world with them. The person comes along with friends and relationships and things and hobbies that they have done before they ever met you, before they ever knew you. And all of that comes together when you create a new family. And the reality is this, is that they're going to rely on others and you need to rely on others as well. You need to find people for an outlet for yourself so it's not them all the time because here's what's going to happen. They're going to let you down and you're going to get mad and you're going to say, you weren't there when I needed you. I couldn't be there. I'm sorry. And that creates more tension. I will say this, as you, as you think about this and as you go through this, the only person that can meet all your needs is God. The Apostle Paul says this in, in his letter to the church at Philippi. He says in Philippians 4, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is the only one who can meet every need that you have. 
And I hate to say this to you, but you're not married to God. You're not. So they're going to let you down if your expectation is for them to be able to do that. I'm not telling you to not have emotional needs because we're all emotional. We're all created that way. What I'm telling you is to understand you've got to find people outside of your spouse that can help you work through the emotional needs you have. And having said that, let me tell you this. You need to set clear boundaries, expectations, and accountability so that those friends don't become anything more than friends. Don't go and have an emotional affair with somebody that could lead to a physical affair with somebody all the time while you're saying, well, you told me that you, bring, you said go find somebody to meet my needs. That's not what I'm talking about. You have to establish clear boundaries within what Scripture would say as it relates to the relationship you have with your spouse. But you've also got to find people outside of your spouse to help meet the needs that you have. A lot of relationships, when you talk to people, well, she's just not meeting the needs that I have. Okay, well, I understand that, but let's, let's go deeper to that. Do you have friends? Well, no, I don't have any friends. Does she have friends? Yes, she has friends. So you're telling me that everything you have is in the basket of her and she's being able to have things met by others. Yes. Go out and make a friend. Go play golf. Do something. The lie and the truth as it relates to the needs we meet of each other. The next lie is this. They owe me. They owe me. You're probably sitting here today and you're saying, no, I don't think that. I don't believe that. Have you ever thought, maybe some of you have actually said, look, I'm at work all day, I have to deal with this, I have to deal with that, you wouldn't believe what I put up with, all I'm asking is for you to just do this. That's an expectation that they owe you something. You see, a lot of us spend our lives going around collecting coupons. We go through, I don't know if you remember the little Bazooka Joe gum, you used to collect the wrappers and if you got like $300,000 or 300,000 wrappers, you could get like a pinwheel, Right? Um, you collect those coupons and then you mail them off and you get something in exchange. And that's what we do in our relationship is we go around and we collect coupons and we put them in our book and we put them in our book and we put them in our book. And when the page gets filled up, we rip the page out and we hand it to our spouse and says, look at everything that I've done for you. Now I get to go and do this or now I get to do this or now I need you to do this for me because of everything I've done. The lie is they owe me something. The truth is this. I am owed nothing. I am owed nothing. Choosing to enter into a relationship and even into the relationship of marriage means that you're choosing to be a person who gives, not receives. It's your choice. You're choosing to go into this relationship. You need to go in choosing to have the mind and the model and the life of Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus as our example. The guy healed hundreds of people. He fed literally thousands of people. He gave hope to hundreds of thousands of people. And yet never demanded anything from anyone. All this didn't build, and then when he stood before those who were accusing him, he didn't pull out the list and say, real quick, before you choose to find me guilty, let's go over the list of things I've done, and then you guys really should, like, lift me up and give me a bonus and put me up in the penthouse, okay? No, 
even in that moment, he still gave the last bit of what he could give. The Apostle Paul talks about this kind of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, <coughs> excuse me, he says this. He says, love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And many translations have this in there. It keeps no record of wrongs. You see, when you say you love someone, you don't keep track of what they've done. You don't keep track of what you've done. You don't keep a coupon book and say, they owe me because of what I've done. It doesn't keep track of that kind of stuff. In our relationships, challenges come up when you feel like you're owed something and it's not being met. Or challenges come up when, 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 when you fall short and your spouse comes to you and says, look, I've done all these things. And you're like, wait a minute, I didn't, know we were, I didn't know we were keeping track because I should come up with a list too. And then all you do is come up with lists against each other. And you create an unhealthy dialogue. The truth is, is that I am owed nothing. The next lie in marriages that we often see and hear is this, is I don't need to change. I don't need to change. Have you ever heard your spouse say this? If you loved me, you would accept me for who I am. Or maybe they got spiritual on you and said this, you know, God made me this way. Are you saying you don't like what God made? <laughs> I dare you to go. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I dare you. We do provide counseling services if anybody needs but it's statements like that, you know, if they really loved me, they wouldn't ask me to do those things. If they really loved me, they, I, I shouldn't have to change. Let me just tell you, before you were married, you saw the very, very best of your spouse. After you're married, you see the real thing. And sometimes they don't always match up. Okay? You have to understand that, that the truth of, as it relates to, to when relationships happen and people come together, the truth is this, is we have to change. Look, we don't have a choice. You cannot stay the same person you were before you were married, after you were married. You have to change. You don't have a choice. Genesis chapter 2 explains what marriage is. He says, therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Two people become one. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, look, this is a mystery that I don't understand. I don't get how this happens. I don't know how this works. But two people become one. You cannot take one individual who's imperfect and another individual who's imperfect and expect anything but something different when the two come together. We have to change. We don't have a choice. We all need to change. When you choose to marry, you're really choosing to change. For one, you're not single anymore. You're married. For another, you've given your heart and your life and everything you have committed to a person for the rest of your life. You have to change. But a lot of people think, well, I shouldn't need to. They should just accept me for who I am. They do, but you got to change. 
But what happens here is we get to the, the dangerous cousin. When we say, I don't need to change, we get to the dangerous cousin, the next lie that says, yes, they should change, and you know what? They should be more like me. You know, you, you, I can see this whole thing playing out. Did you hear what he said this morning? He said, you, you need to change. Okay, I'm willing to change. And you know what? You should change to be more like me. No, no, no. You say, well, I, I, I don't want them to be like me. You don't? Okay, have you ever thought, I just wish they, they liked the hobbies that I liked. I wish, I wish they would want to go on a walk with me, or I wish they would want to go to the gym with me, or I wish they would, you know, want to do this or want to do that. I, 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 wish, I wish they would become more like me. I wish they thought the way I thought. I wish they liked the shows that I liked. I wish they would read the books that I like. I wish... I, 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 just, I just want him to like rom-coms. That'd be so much fun. You see, the reality is, is when we say those things, we think that our view is the best. We think that our view is right. We think that, that we are superior, and if they would just raise themselves up to me, then everything would be okay. But the truth is this. We are all unique the truth is, is while we need to change, the reality is also that we're all unique. The psalmist says this in Psalm 139.4, talking about praising God, he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, I need to change, but understand, I'm not going to become who you are. It's just not going to happen because God made me differently than you. It's funny that so many times we say opposites attract, but then once you're married, you're like, okay, now we need to be the same. That which brought you together is what keeps you together. You have to understand, this is an exercise <clears throat> that I encourage for any, anybody to do, and, and, and we do this with couples when, when, when I meet with them. When they're having troubles and they're doing different things, one of the first things I do is, is what first attracted you? to this person. What was, and we, you start going through those things and you realize that our differences is what we love and what we enjoy and, 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 and what we really have built this thing on. How boring would the world be if everybody was the same? How boring would your relationship if, be if, if you thought exactly alike and, and, and you dressed exactly alike? And, and if you're one of those couples that dresses alike, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But but what, what if you did that every day, all the time, and nothing was ever different? Not only would it be boring, but it'd be miserable, and you would have no other friends, because they would look at you and be like, oh, here they come. <laughs> when they call you on the phone, you would lie and be like, <clears throat> I'm sick. <clears throat> you see, we need to change, yes, but we're also unique. You don't need to become who the other person is. Let me help you with some application today because a lot of this is built on the idea of, of what a person does and then how you respond to this person. And when you begin to, when you get to look at these lies and examine these lies, you see it's their fault, so I'm going to do this, or it's, it's, they, they aren't like me, so I'm going to do this, and all these different things. And the application I want to talk about today is the ABC model. And basically, this is how this model goes A is the event. A is whatever has happened. C is the response. Because he does this, then I find myself doing this. 
Because she won't do this, then I find myself doing this. Because they said this, I now feel like I need to do this. Or, because I've done all these things, and because I've built up all these things, then I should be able to do this. Whatever the event is, we see our response. The lie about this whole model is this, is that A causes C. We look at the event, and we say, this event causes me to respond this way. The truth is this, A does not cause C. When it comes to our emotions and our responses, A does not cause C. The reason for this is because you are B. The truth is, is that B is between A and C, and you are B. You be you. You is B. I don't even know what the right grammar is for all that. Anyway, A is the event. C is the outcome. B is you. Hear me when I say this. No one controls your response except you. No one controls your response except you. What your spouse does is independent of how you respond. You're in control of that. You don't have to do anything because you have the opportunity to control how you respond. And so we live this lie that says, that says they owe me, so I should get this, or, or it's their fault, so I'm allowed to do this. or whatever. No, you're responsible for your response, regardless of the situation that builds it. We have to begin to live in truth and understand that these lies that we've come to, to buy into and these lies that we believe, and you would sit there and say and go through it, and, and Amy and I talked about this last night, and she went through and she was like, yeah, no, I don't know that I believe those things, but I know that periodically I probably feel that way. And you would probably say the same thing. I don't know that, you know, every single one of these is appropriate for every single situation, and I probably don't believe that marriage is easy, but there are times in the midst of when it's hard when I think, man, it should be easier than this. So there are times when we all find a kind of hit these spots and realize that there's more to it. But none of this can force you to respond in any way. You're in control of your own response. If there's one main thing I want you to do trying to walk away with this today, it's this. I want you to see it, own it, and change it. See it, own it, and change it. I want you to go back over the course of this week and I want you to look at these lies and I want you to look and see, you know what, I have a propensity to kind of feel this way. Maybe it's the one about they owe me, or maybe it's the one about, you know, I'm disappointed because of how hard I have to work, or maybe it's the one about the, they want me to be more like them, or whatever. Pick one of these lies that you find that kind of prevalent in your, um, in your relationships. And say, you know what, I've bought into that lie, and it's a bunch of malarkey, and I need to stop identify it, then you own it and say, you know what, I am this way. And then just work to change it. And how do you change it? Jesus says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Take his word daily. Take it in and ingest it. And digest it and dwell on it. And then live it out. And that will help you get to a place where you're able to overcome the lies that we believe in our relationships and with everything else.
You see, we hear 100 lies a day. At some point, we start believing them. We're comfortable telling anywhere from two to three. They say that some men on average say eight lies a day. Statistically speaking, men lie more than women. And we start to believe the lies. But when it comes to our marriage, we cannot, we cannot buy into these lies. We have to rehearse the truth and have to understand that this is God's design and this is God's plan and that he is in control of the situation. Would you pray with me this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, maybe you're here today and your marriage is in a tough spot. Maybe you're here today and you see these things in your spouse. Don't run home and say, you, you, you know you do these things. Instead, run home and look in the mirror and say, what can I do? And maybe you've been perfect, but we can all improve. And what are some things that, that, that I can work on and what are some things that I can do that our marriage would be better? What lies do I need to stop believing so that I can practice the truth? Maybe you're here today and this is your first time you've come to church and you think, wow, a marriage counseling class, I'm glad I came today. But we're not here to, to put marriage ahead of what we believe to be the most important thing. We sang about that a little bit ago. We talked about that. And that is the cross. And this person named Jesus who was sent to die in your place. Because each and every one of us are not perfect. And each and every one of us were born what the Bible calls a sinner. We have missed the standard that God has. And because of that, we deserve death. But Jesus provided a way out. And he provided a remedy through his death, that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. And so if you're here today and you've never considered the truth of Christ, but you've bought into the lies of the world, that you can do it on your own, that you can work your way to heaven, that there is no heaven, today, listen to the truth and it will set you free. The truth is, is that God loved you so much. And he was willing to send his son to die for you. That if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. And if that's something you want today, just pray something like, God, quietly where you are, God, I believe that you are my savior. Come into my life and save me. God, help me to live for you. For others, let's take some time to pray this morning. Heavenly Father God, I pray that you would help me, that you would help us to see what lies we have come to believe. And God, help us to, to, to rehearse truth, to practice truth, to be able to get to the place where we're not buying into that, but we buy into you and to what you say. God, help us to, to own it and to overcome it. And through your power, change it. And God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.